Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. I guess that would matter if the leader cared about his people. But we're here. Welcome back. It's the hottest show in the galaxy. It's the Karen Hunter Show. We're here on Sirius XM Urban View, where talk empowers and becomes action. And joining me right now, uh, I'm going to call him a lobbyist because he does handle a lot of business in Washington. He's also a partner in Ice Miller's Public Affairs Group. He is a crypto expert. Uh, let me welcome Mr. Jared Lodeholt back to the show. Hi. Karen. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, sanctions, do they work? What, what's been your experience, sir, with the, the sanctions that President Biden is imposing upon yeah. Russia? So I think the short answer is yes. The question is to what end and to what extent. So, I mean, ultimately, I think for everyday Russians, yes, it will absolutely affect their ability to export. It will affect their ability to make cross-border payments, you know, it'll affect their ability to do things and conduct business uh, in the country uh, and outside with the, with the rest of the world, right? Because the objective of sanctions is in part to isolate a country from the rest of the global economy, right? Like that's the, that's generally the, the objective. The question, which I don't think anybody has an answer to today is, is how much does this actually affect Putin himself? And his ambitions in the region. And I mean, it looked, he knew that these sanctions were forthcoming, right? And he still did what he did anyway, and he'll continue to be doing what he's doing. So how long can those sanctions, which I would imagine the White House has a graduated set of sanctions, and this is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what the White House may be willing to do long-term, but as it as it looks right now, I mean, it looks obviously like Putin's doing what he said he was going to do and which the White House said he was going to do. Um, and so ultimately, this White House and NATO and allies in the region, I think, are trying to find ways to combat what's happening in the Ukraine. But I think they're broader questions about what how does that affect everyday Americans, too? Right. Right. I, right. And I think yeah, most yeah. most of us don't care if Russians are suffering, which is horrible. That's that's unfortunate. <laughs> but, but it's yeah, true. You know, it's true. Right. I think so that's how, reality. That's how does reality. it affect us? What is, how is my day to day? How is it going to stop me from doing the things I want to do? And if not, I'm not dialing in gas prices. So I think the first thing that everyone should be should realize is that this is an oil rich region. Right. And so when there's a war and this isn't like a cyber war, right, this is like a ground war with troops and air operations and operations by sea. Well, that's how crude gets to refineries around the world, right? And so if you are going to have a disruption in global oil supplies, well, you already have high gas prices here now for, for a number of reasons. This doesn't help. It actually in the short run makes it worse, right? And so I think immediate disruptions in um, the, the supply of crude oil 
affects how much you pay at the pump, right? Because if you looked at oil futures in the markets, they're up. Why are they up? Because the price of oil is going to go up, right? And so I'm not an investment advisor, right? But I look at oil futures because I think oil futures can sometimes tell us about what's happening right now. And you see the price of oil futures up. What's also up? Gold and bonds. Why are gold and bonds up? Because people are moving from more volatile assets like crypto, which is volatile, right? It's mm-hmm. is a relatively yeah. volatile asset class, yeah. right? Well, people are going to safety. So yesterday, I think, was a record price in gold. And so you're seeing investors, they're called a flight to safety. I think the other piece that you're seeing is at this, literally as all of this is happening, the Federal Reserve has been talking about raising interest rates next month because of inflation in the United States, uh, among other reasons. And they're trying to cool off what is an economy that is hot and hot in terms of prices, but also employment, right? Because unemployment is relatively low right now, relatively. It low. is the lowest it's been. And I just talked about time. it. Yeah. Right? Since Which the is 70s. Of, since 1970. Mm-hmm. Historic lows. So this is a real challenge, I think, for this administration and for the Federal Reserve, because if the U.S. average American, what they'll tell you is the gas is up, rent is up, groceries are up. Their check might be up, but it's not up as fast as everything else. So when you see this conflict, right, I think the immediate impact will be at the pump and perhaps in your portfolio, right? But obviously, look, call your financial advisor. This is a time where maybe gold makes more sense in your portfolio than it did six months ago. Same thing with bonds, right? Yields are down, but bond prices are up. And that's what tends to happen anytime there's like a global major global event that will affect markets is you see the flight to safety. Now on the other side of that, if this isn't going to turn into world war three, and if it's not going to turn nuclear, I'm saying that if the, the down market is an opportunity for some people to get in and buy up some things that they were looking at that they now can probably afford because the market is always going to go back up. It's just going to. Correct. So, You know, so I look at this as an opportunity for some of us. Like, okay, all right. Um, but as as you're talking, I'm thinking about poor Jimmy Carter, who yes. faced hyperinflation. There was a what was it? The, the Iran. There was like some war thing going on. <laughs> some hostages. There was gas prices, odd even days. I remember being a little girl, you know, we had to go get gas with the license plate. If you had an even license plate one day, and I remember poor Jimmy Carter became like the running joke of all that ailed this country as if, as if it wasn't teed up for him, as if Nixon and all that crap that happened before. And I feel like Biden's going to catch a similar. I don't think so. Okay, tell me why. Because I'm feeling like Biden's being set up the same way poor Jimmy Carter so. got jacked up. Because when you when you look at that time period, it was stagflation, right? So you had a combination of a stagnant economy and inflation. You don't have the stagnant economy in this case. In this case, you got actually a, an economy where the inflation is driven by overheating, right? As opposed to purely, which I think back then was driven by oil and input prices, right? I think our, our inflation is a combination of it costs more to do things, right? But it also is more money chasing fewer goods because of the supply chain changes, right? Okay. And so I think one of the things I've said that we'll probably talk about later is 
um, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act and the Competes Act, which I think seeks to address these supply chain issues. Because again, one of the reasons why it costs, why the chicken wings, I was buying chicken wings the other day. I couldn't find any at like four different grocery stores. There are not enough people. You mean a package of chicken wings because you want to cook? Yeah, you no, want to cook some chicken wings, Jared? You I were cook cooking? chicken wings all the time, right? Okay. But the, the point, I'll, the, but the broader point here is they weren't available, right? For a number of reasons. And be, when you, when they are available, the price is higher because you got people like me all out trying to get wings at the same time. And so the grocery store is going to have to raise the price in order to keep some of them on the shelves at some time. And so imagine that happening across the economy. And that's what we have right now, which is why we're seeing record inflation. But what we are seeing is people are at work, right? Whereas you look kind of in the, in the, in the uh, late 70s, 70s, 70s with, with President Carter, you didn't have that. So I think that's why you're in a slightly different situation. That being said, some of the similarities are inescapable. You now have a massive war in Europe, right? That it is, is massive because we don't have ground wars anymore. So the fact that we're doing this now, like this is a significant thing. We are an even more interconnected economy. So anything that happens anywhere affects us here. And you saw it again in the markets yesterday, obviously, but you also have a humanitarian crisis on your hands, right? Because you're gonna have millions of refugees every time there's a war. So the question is, where do they go, right? And at some point, the question is who comes to the United States? So I think you're always going to have these downstream impacts that you got to be aware of. But again, if you're an American, I think the immediate impacts are at the pump, perhaps in your portfolio. Uh, and there's a lot going on already. Like if this wasn't going on, we would still have things that we would need to get through. But I do not think President Biden is President Carter. No, I don't think that either. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that what what President Carter didn't have is this 24 hour news cycle uh, this this massive machinery of misinformation and disinformation propelled by, primarily by the Russians and the Chinese and who have been very targeting, particularly, and they've always targeted black people, even in World War One, World War Two, when he, when they did propaganda, they always targeted the the fulcrum of the nation, which right. is black people. And they know this outside of the country. They know they know where to go. <laughs> And so Biden is President Biden is suffering, I think, from that uh, social media Uh, today. One of my students had the audacity to tell me she saw on TikTok, like, you're not going to tell me something in this class, in a journalism class, something you saw on TikTok. Like, you're going to get an F for the day for that. Like, TikTok, you you saw a TikTok video. You're going to bring that into a geopolitical discussion about Russia because some girl on TikTok said what now? Oh, hell no. But this is where a lot of our people are getting where the news is. So, yeah, but I think President Biden actually has more of an uphill battle. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. I mean, this is really only in year one and change of his administration. And we've already, it's like, so it feels weird. like dog years. Like, I oh feel like, oh my we're God. Years, but we really, we're really just a year in. It's not fair. It's not fair. All right. So the new sanctions, here's, here's what they are. President Biden broke them down. Play it, Smith. Today's actions, we've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. 
Mm. How significant is this, Jared Lodehold? Significant for people not named Vladimir Putin. Because if you are a Russian business, you are Russian. And there are Russians who do business in the United States for a host of reasons. I think the logic is you affect them. They're going to eventually get to Putin saying, look, you got to pull back because I can't pay a bill. Like I can't pay my mortgage. I can't do X, Y, or Z. And so again, the intent is to isolate them from the global economy, the effect and how long it will take because there's a lag, right? Because mm-hmm. if the sanctions are effective today, that doesn't mean tomorrow Putin says, ah, this is a lot, right? So there's a lag. And the question is, how long is that lag? And will more sanctions be necessary in order to ratchet up the pressure to get him to act differently? Uh, and that's that's an open question. Jared, uh, Jared, J-A-R-R-O-D, Lode Holt. You can follow him there on Twitter. How rich is Putin? You're in the financial markets. Like there, there are rumors that he's the wealthiest man in the world, the richest man in the world. I don't know if that's true. I don't know how we even verify that. I don't know. I don't know if he is. Um, but just to speculate, I would imagine he has done well. Um, but I also imagine that he's gamed out the scenarios here where he's understood where the United States is going to go such that he's personally okay, right? But <laughs> That's what I know. But if the economy around him craters... Why would he I care? Think- Why would he, he's, he doesn't care. If he cared about his people, he would have done some different things as China even has flexed, you know, been nimble enough to allow some level of capitalism there are mcdonald's in china there's this this whole burgeoning i mean we got tiktok from china for crying out loud there is like this this kind of hybrid communist capitalism until you do go too far then we're going to disappear you so that you know where the line is we got you know alibaba even china has figured out how to and, and they're tied to the global economy they're tied to the stock market in a way that russia's not so we talk about isolating how do you send somebody to their room when they're already in their room it's like, go sit in the corner. I'm already in the corner. Yeah. No, so look, there are other people in Russia who aren't as isolated. And there are companies in Russia that do business in the United States that aren't as isolated. And I think the logic, again, is if you hit their pockets, they will then react. To your point, and I think this is, again, a good question, which is they don't have the same kind of political responsiveness when people are saying, my house is on fire. I need you to do something, right? Because the country doesn't operate in the same way democratically. Whereas if something happens, if gas prices get too high, politicians feel the heat immediately, right? And so I don't think that they operate quite like that. But again, I think there are various things at play and those are just the things that the president has announced, right? There's so many other classified things that are likely happening as well that I think are designed to get him to pull back. But again, he's not alone. So this is a NATO, like the rest of the world not the rest of the world, but NATO allies, the United States, I think this is their fight with Ukraine against Russia. I want to say something, but I won't. I think it might. All right. Uh, I, want, mm, I would handle things a little differently, but that's why I'm sitting here behind a mic. <laughs> cool it, Karen. I know. I'm not going to say it, but I understand. what you're I understand. not going to do is talk about you're going to see consequences that you, you know, and not even on some ego thing, but oh, oh yeah. Okay. 
All right. Got to be careful because things can escalate quickly. Yes, that's what I know, too. But they're already they're, escalated. They escalated. And he did start this. He did this. Uh, we're talking about a man that went from stu- studying German German in at St. Petersburg High School to becoming a KGB agent, to becoming deputy mayor, to becoming prime minister, to becoming president of Russia in a very, very strategic, pointed way. This is nobody that you, you play tiddlywinks with. And I'm going to take that threat seriously, is what I'm going to say. I don't think oh, no, he's no, just no, talking. No. I think we all are. So, so if are. he's serious about that, then we, you know, I don't know. All right, so I'm going to say less. I'm going to say yeah. less. Uh, we before we go to break though, uh, we brought you on to talk about uh, the Supreme Court seat that's open yeah. that no one's talking about except you know it was like big news that Biden was going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. People were losing their minds. Everyone else was cheering because it's just about having balance on this damn court. Uh, right. You you have right. some inside knowledge, Jared Lodeholt. <laughs> I'm not going to call it inside knowledge as much as it's been pretty clear for a while that Katanji Brown Jackson from the DC circuit was the front runner. And I've, I've not heard anything that suggests that she won't be the nominee. I'm from South Carolina. I'm personally partial to Michelle Childs. I'd love for it to be her much like Jim Clyburn, but much like quite frankly, Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, but also folks like Bakari Sellers and Jim Clyburn, like South Carolinians have seen her career and we've had a front row seat. And you, and if you have folks like me with family who've been before her court, right and gotten a fair shot and lawyers who practiced before her. So I'm very fond of Michelle Childs. That being said, it does appear that Katanji Brown Jackson will probably be the nominee um, for a host of reasons. Harvard, Harvard, again, I'm not, I went to Harvard. I'm not a fan of all the Harvard folks in the Supreme Court, but it is what it is. She's on the circuit court. She's got appellate experience. She's a former Supreme Court clerk for mm-hmm. Justice Breyer. Mm-hmm. But she did a case, and I talked about this, and I mis, uh, misidentified the person. The first federal judge in Alabama sent a letter to President Biden asking him yeah, to pass over her. But, but, but. UW Clement, what? I'm familiar with it, but that was actually his client that he was talking about. So, of course, he didn't take kindly to the yeah, judge. Yeah, but, but it was in... She voted against, she, she ruled against black people getting money. I mentioned that uh, Katanji Brown Jackson might have some opposition. She definitely has some from Alabama's first uh, federal court judge. I was just telling you about him. And you said there's a con- there's context to this. Yeah, I mean, sure. The decision was about certifying a class, right? So when you bring a class action, one of the first steps you got to do is get the class certified. Katanji Jackson, for a number of reasons, decided not to. That didn't get to the merits of the case per se, but obviously the attorney on the case, URW Clemens, felt, or UW Clemens, felt that she didn't do, he had disagreed with her, obviously, and that affected his pocket, so he spoke up. I'll be frank, I've had some political kind of back and forth over the years with former Judge Clemens. I, I try to speak nicely on folks on the radio. So what I'll say about him is um, I, I take what he writes and says in moderation and with a grain of salt. Uh, and I. OK, there I may mean, be. Legitimate I mean, but, but he threw out Lockheed Martin versus the, the class with, with the black. What? That's one case. I mean, look, that's one case on a technical issue around class certification. But this is a this is a sister who's had an entire storied career, right? And I won't boil it down to one black guy in Birmingham's issue, right? Because one, he ain't always right. I can tell you he's wrong on a lot of things. And two, this is problematic because 
he knows if he writes a letter, people aren't going to look to the merits of what he said. They're going to say, first black judge Alabama done like Katanji Jackson. Well, here's why that doesn't matter. The two senators from Alabama aren't going to vote for her anyway, right? But she's got 50 Democratic votes and she's got about three Republican votes that are possible. And I think that's Murkowski, Collins, and, and Lindsey Graham. And so she'll get confirmed. It'll what? be Wait, Lindsey Graham? Yeah. Lindsey Graham is, is of the opinion, I think he's right, which is elections have consequences and presidents get to get their Supreme Court nominees confirmed, which matters because he's on the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, he but has he said didn't let that. Barack now, Obama, he didn't let President Obama appoint Merrick Garland when he had the well, I the think seat. that was more, that was Mitch McConnell. So I think we don't want to okay. mix our Right, no, that's that true. But I don't think, he, he didn't oppose Mitch McConnell, who was, he didn't oppose him and he was in the Mitch Senate. McConnell called the shot. So again, he has said, and he has generally agreed with this, and you'll see this here, he'll very likely probably vote for Judge Jackson. I can tell you, if it were Michelle Childs, he has all out in all but endorsed Michelle Childs publicly. So I say this, I think in the off chance that it's Michelle Childs, I, I, I feel pretty confident that she but comes have an easy time. to Republican votes from South Carolina and the other two. So maybe you got 54. Either way, you got 50. That's all you need. Okay. Now, uh, Judge Kentanji Jackson Brown also has a Paul Ryan connection because her husband's yeah. twin brother is married to Paul Ryan's sister. Correct. So maybe that also can play a role. I mean, Paul look, Ryan was the rising star at some point in the Republican Party in the look, Congress. I, I hope that in the conversations around Judge Jackson, we talk a lot about her career her accomplishments, her time on the sentencing commission, dealing with the crack Jared Lodehold, have you met America? You know we're not going to spend no time talking about that. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about all of that here on the Karen Hunter Show. But you know damn well the average citizen is not going to be dialing in. They're going to want to know all of the gossip that that judge, that judge's letter. Oh, see, she don't like black people. You already know. But go ahead. Please break down who she is. Tell us. One of the things that you say off when I'm on the show is it's incumbent upon us to elevate the conversation, right? And I think a part of us elevating this conversation is I don't think we've ever had a Supreme Court justice that was a public defender. Ketanji Brown Jackson was a public defender. That matters, right? When you have Fourth Amendment cases, when you have criminal defense cases, I don't think we've had a criminal defense lawyer on the Supreme Court in a very long time. That's number one. Number two, the Senate, her work on sentencing is well-known, well-documented, U.S. Citizen Commission, that having that kind of voice on the court for criminal justice matters and the Fourth Amendment, search and seizure and all these other things, those things matter, right? And so, look, you're going to hear all kinds of nonsense reporting around this nomination. I just hope that our people are, we're grounded in understanding that she is fair, she is credentialed, she is stellar, she's had a fantastic career, and she's eminently qualified to be on the Supreme Court. Okay. I listen, um I think it, it needs to happen. I think any black not any black woman, but the the choices that they've had, the seven names that I've seen, Solid. any one of them would be any better than than everybody that's on there except for Sotomayor. Justice Sotomayor, in my opinion, they can, everybody else is they can be solid, but I I with I'm I'm with you. So that's how I feel. I'm with you. So, um, all right. So I'll say less and I won't bring up, and I'm glad you put perspective on that, uh, Clement guy. 
because, uh, you know, there's some bit of Bettys out there. You know, there were people that didn't like Barack Obama because he didn't invite them to the White House. And there were people that didn't like Barack Obama because he was the first black president and the person that wanted to right. cut off his balls was not. So, you know, right. but then he Clemens, had a tear. I put, Clemens, I put, you know, there's a crab barrel. Clemens might be it. Okay. All right. So we, we just, right. uh, and, and Jared knows. Okay. You're, you're, you're um, really, really smart on Bitcoin. And I was watching Real Sport with Bryant Gumbel this week, yep. and uh, they had the, the Bitcoin Beach story, which I found fascinating. I don't know. Why did they have that story on Bryant Gumbel? I don't know. But he does some amazing stuff. I don't think it was a sports angle. But it was talking about El Salvador. And at the time, I think Bitcoin had reached $60,000. It has plummeted. It is, I think, today in 32, 33 range. Is this sustainable? Is Bitcoin, because there's a lot of black folks, it's really good for an economy that is struggling or non-existent to be able to have the flexibility to, you know, buy and sell without, you know, any restrictions. And for some unbanked people in this country, it's also a good way of, you know, getting involved. But is this real, really a place where people should be putting a good portion of their money? And do you see Bitcoin going back up to 60 at any point? Uh, in the in the short term, I don't think so. I mean, the question of should people put their money in it, I'm like, look, it's an asset class, right? It's like asking somebody, should you put your money in stock? Sure, right? Should you put all your money in it? No. Should you put your money in real estate? Sure. Should you put all your money in it? No, right? Because like any asset class, it's vol- it, it, it goes up and it goes down. Now, I will say this, I think generally about cryptocurrency is, there are probably there's probably more volatility there relative to other asset classes. So with that being said, if you're building a portfolio, you should hedge against that risk. Right. And so if you're holding a whole lot of that, you should probably hold some fixed income stuff that's a lot more stable and the least volatile to hedge the risk. Right. Okay. So it's really about portfolio management and less about should people invest? Because I think the answer is yes. Should you invest everything? No. I'll also say this. I think the real opportunity is in the underlying technology we talk a lot about we talk a lot about coins and less about blockchain technology and i think that quite frankly is the future of a lot of industries whether whether it be money and financial services healthcare you name it right blockchain that technology that undergirds it is just like the internet undergirds all the content that we see but the internet really are the rails right and so the rails for this technology i think really are the future and i've seen applications from cybersecurity to healthcare and if anybody's looking at those are the kinds of long-term investments that if you're making them, you should seek those out. But yes, mm-hmm. I think blockchain is cool, but like, should you put all your 401k in it? No. Okay. There was a fun episode of the grand crew uh, this week where uh, two of the stars got into this crypto that sent them on this wild roller coaster, And it was funny. And just as we spoke earlier today, crypto was uh, Bitcoin was down in the 32s. It's now up to 38. Yeah thousand just that like so that swing alone is kind of breakneck and whiplashy uh but yes 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 uh what about ethereum because there's all these other little little coins that was supposed to be the heir apparent or the the next one uh to bitcoin nothing same thing same okay. thing okay should you have some sure should you have a whole bunch of nothing else no okay. should you always have a head strategy for whatever you're doing of course Okay, you're so sensible. Jarrett Lodeholt is here. Jarrett Lodeholt. What's the deal? What's going on with the HBCUs? Well, look, I mean, there is a, so you, I think uh, last summer you had the Senate pass what's the United States Innovation and Competition Act. 
about a $250 billion package, the largest single investment in research and development and tech and STEM and diversity in STEM ever, right? The House passed their own bills called the America Competes Act. A lot of words, long story short, a lot of money in R&D and so forth. The takeaway I think for our community is, well, what's in it for us, right? One, we've never had this kind of investment from the federal government in diversity and STEM. And that's K through 12, that's our HBCUs, so forth. I've got nephews there in robotics and 3D printing. This is the kind of thing I could see them benefiting from because their schools can tap into money that we've never seen before from Washington. I think the potentially massive beneficiaries of this historically black colleges, because one of the things that you see in this legislation, which I think will pass, is bipartisan. Biden wants to get it done. Republicans want to get it done too, I think, which makes it unlike Build Back Better, is billions, not millions, but billions of dollars to increase our research capacity at these institutions. Because when you look at Johns Hopkins and Duke, yes, they have students, but they make lots of money because they research and innovate and create things that they then commercialize. But you've got to have the research capacity to do that in the first place. And a lot of our institutions do not at this time. This legislation, I think, however, can take some of our institutions in a tier one research status, which is kind of like the gold standard. So you can think about the Morgan States, the North Carolina ANTs, the Prairie Views, the FAMs, the Southerns, the Morehouses, the Clark Atlantas. These are the institutions I think that are gonna be primed to be able to take advantage of these. But they're also dollars for smaller institutions, what they call emerging institutions, again, for research and development. So that's Benedict, Miles College, mm. right? Stillman in Alabama. Uh, Russ College, Oakwood, some of these schools who for years have wanted to build this, this kind of capacity can build it now. And it's unprecedented amounts of money for STEM. I think there's some Pell Grant dollars. I say all that again to say, we don't talk enough about what is out there and what's possibly on the horizon that could be transformative. The other thing is there's a section called for regional innovation tech hubs. I think there's $7 billion in the Senate version. 10 billion house. What does that mean? We're talking millions of dollars for research and development workforce. So you got folks looking for jobs, folks looking to get trained, money that can go to technical colleges, 2-4, K through 12, mm. all of these places to get people in places that are not on the coast. Because if you look at the tech economy, it's been in New York, Boston, Northern Virginia, maybe the research triangle, South Florida, maybe Austin, Texas, Denver, and the Silicon Valley and maybe Seattle. The rest of the country though, if you go to Shreveport or you go to St. Louis or you go to you know, Missouri, you know, other parts of the country, they've not seen this. So this program is designed to put money in the regional tech hubs where places like you know, Jackson, Mississippi can take advantage of maybe building a medical tech hub around Jackson State and their medical college, right? Mm. This is again, where I hope our mayors are listening. I hope our economic development professionals are listening. I hope our elected officials are listening because this is a potentially massive opportunity. It's my understanding a conference committee will come together between the House and the Senate in March uh, and that we may see a bill as early as Memorial Day, but possibly at the end of July before August recess. So again, massive, massive, massive opportunities that you probably aren't gonna hear much about in the news because it's like a 2000 page bill and Karen, you know, I've gone through the bill and yeah. I've seen things and the things are there. This is what I love about you. Uh, and let's have you back to talk about the blockchain and how we can really navigate and take advantage it. of it. I know you got to run. I appreciate you stopping in and giving us extra time today. Always. Jared 
Lodholt, you're amazing. J-A-R-R-O-D, Lodholt on the Twitters. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.